Automatics, welcome to the show. Thank you for tuning in. Today we have Dave Osborne. Dave is a director of animation and TV, and he is known for Lego Nexo Knights and also Mr. Bean. Dave also develops and designs 2D and 3D animation, and he's working on something top secret, should we say, for Netflix. So let's welcome Dave to the show. Hi, Dave. Hello, everybody. Hi, nice to meet you. Right. It's uh, it's a, uh, it's great to be here. I mean, um, I, I guess really, uh, you know, sort of setting off, I suppose, uh, to introduce myself and talk a little bit more about what I've been, uh, what I, where, where I'm from and stuff. I'm, I'm uh, a director, and I work for, on primarily television series. I'm based in the UK. Um, I'm based in London, in fact. Uh, um, but uh, like most of my career, I've worked around the world. I've spent time working in India. Uh, Canada, uh, Korea, China occasionally, um, and of course various bits of Europe. And the production one at the moment, we are based in South Africa, London, and France. Oh, great! And like, um, so as you guys heard from Dave, are we allowed to say your accent? That Dave, we, you're recording with me live today. You're actually in London, right? Yes. Yeah, yes, so. I'm in London. Yes. Yeah, and, then and I think it's, it's 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 morning for you and evening for me. <laughs> So it's, it's one of those, I'm yeah, afraid. It's, well, actually, it's the afternoon. It's exactly at lunchtime afternoon in Los Angeles, and, and we're recording in summer. Um, how's the weather like in London out there? It's actually very nice. It's, it's been a brilliantly sunny day. Not that I've seen much of it because I'm in the office, but um, it's a, been a brilliantly sunny day through the window anyway. How long are, when you're working on an animation project, like I heard they can be like 15-hour days, right? Yeah, I think the productions often go through phases. Um, you know, you, you can often start and it can be quite, you know, gentle and regular times and days and things, you know, and it's sort of seven or eight hours. Um, but you inevitably, what happens is that as the production gets going and various bits start happening and you get to a phase in production where um, everything is happening. So you're writing scripts, you're doing the animatics and storyboards and you're doing... Uh, production and beginning to do post-production that's the point where everything's happening at the same point that's when the days get really long um, I think generally I mean you know you know my experience of working with most production uh, managers and, and line producers is that you know you can't sustain very long days for very you know for a long period so you know it, it's it's done as a a short-term measure you know you don't really want crews and teams to be working long hours forever but yeah sometimes it is long days um you know i i i've you know i've been doing this for 34 years so um i you know you, it, like i say it goes up and down really and i think at the moment i think there's certainly i'm finding in, in the uk at the moment there's a much more healthier attitude to trying to make sure that days are uh, regularized and, and sort of not sort of overextended and, and, and long. Oh, that's nice because I think like you know you need that sort of rejuvenation and like have a little bit of me time to just you know relax and especially exercise or even seeing the sun, seeing the sunshine. Um, so I, I want to ask you this. So Dave, Dave, uh, Dave's real name is David Osborne, but he's film credited as Dave due to a glitch on his first credit. So um. So if you're wondering, uh, like Dave Osborne, is it David Osborne? You are one in the same, right? <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. And if, if, if you look up 
Look me up on IMDB. It's always Dave as, as a credit. Yeah, I mean, that's it's one of those quirky things that happen on the first television series I ever worked on. Um, I was always called Dave in the office in the studio. And I know, I know I wasn't part of the process to actually write the credits up. And then when I actually watched television, you know, months later uh, to watch my credit and I went, oh, they called me Dave, but my name's David. And, um, you know, it, from that point on, I realized I was probably going to have to live with it. And I just decided to stick with it. So I'm always known as Dave. Um, 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 you know. And I want to ask you, so, so Dave, um, growing up, did you grow up in London? Is that where you grew up? No, I didn't grow up in London. I grew up in, in a part of England that's called Devon, which is down in the West Country. So, I mean, I, I came to London to work because, you know, at the end of it, there wasn't really much animation production being done elsewhere in the country. There's only, you know, there's only one or two places elsewhere at that particular point when I started in the late 80s. And, you know, Manchester, Cardiff uh, and Bristol were the other places. But um, you know, the main place for producing animation in, in the UK was London, and that's where most of the studios were. So, um, you know, when I finished college, that's where I came, you know. Um, and I, to be honest, I think that was the route that most people took, you know. Um, I, I went to a college called West Surrey College of Art and Design, and I did a specific course called animation. Um, uh, I think you had a couple of other components in there, like film and photography, but I, I did, uh, I just did animation as, as my particular degree. Um, and then the route for most of us who came out and wanted to carry on working in the industry was, you, you, you know, you took your portfolio and your your film, and it was a film in those days, your sixteen millimeter print or whatever, and you went round the studios with your portfolio and knocked on doors, and eventually somebody was probably mad enough to give you a job. Um, uh, or desperate enough to get somebody to work uh, either cheaply or they needed somebody there and then where they couldn't get anybody else. And, um, you know, this is all pre the internet days and things like that. So um, it was quite a different world in that way, you know. Um, and, you know, I, I sort of picked up my first job really through being recommended by somebody, but literally it was a case I had to go around and say, look, if you go around today, I think they're looking for somebody, knock on the door and, you know, that's what I did. And, and, you know, I was given a little bit of animation to do and see if I could do it. And um, I, I clearly did it at least well enough for them to go, OK, you can have another piece and keep going. And, and you know, 18 months later, I sort of left that studio um, to go off and do another production. So um, I think, I mean, that was my start, but I've always been into animation. I mean, my first experience of animation was... Um, being about five years old, um, my father worked at a at a dairy plant that every Christmas they had a, a Christmas party for all the kids of all the employees. They had a Christmas party. And uh, at this Christmas party, um, they had a point where they would get this 16 millimeter projector out and they obviously hired some films and there would always be some sort of like Charlie Chaplin's or Laurel and Hardy's. And one year there were these Tom and Jerry's. And of course, for us, me growing up in the late 60s and early 70s, all television was black and white. And, um, you know, what happened for me at that particular point sat in, you know, the works canteen um, looking at this screen and it just suddenly came alive, you know, and these characters, this mouse and this cat started running around. And I, I distinctly remember looking at the screen and then suddenly looking back at the projector and I was thinking, how, how, I, 
instantly my brain was going, how does this work? I mean, it didn't do that with the other films because perhaps they were live action and I, I kind of knew that there was a camera filming them. But I just looked at these characters running around this, you know, this kind of the great animation from the 1940s and 1950s. And um, I was just, I was just taken aback by it. And I think from that point onwards, I was fascinated by animation. I mean, every opportunity that I had to watch it, um, try and find out more about, about it, I did. And, um, you know, it, it kind of culminated when I was in my early teens. I got hold of a Super 8 camera. I did that whole thing that a lot of people did at that point was sort of make your own films, you know, start drawing on bits of paper and um, film them and things like that and trying to project it and you know really I suppose work out the mechanics of how you make a film and how you make animated films and, um, so I think that that was my start point and it was certainly um, you know it stayed with me and you know I, I I drew and you know when it came to art college I knew exactly what I wanted to do I never had any doubt what I wanted to do and I ended up at art college as I mentioned and uh, um, you know I just kept on making films and I've been making films ever since. And I think for me personally, the re one of the reasons why I ended up directing was that I, I liked the whole process. I, I certainly enjoyed animating. I certainly enjoyed drawing, but the whole process is, you know, it's, it's writing, it's, it's creating storyboard. It's, it's thinking up character design ideas. It may be casting. If you've got to do voices, it's, uh, you know, creating a pipeline for the production in the sense of thinking, well, if I if I make it like this and I want it to look like this, what do I need to do to make that work? I like the whole process and, you know, even post-production, you know, of actually, you know, creating sound effects and all of those things, which, to be fair, at the college that we were at, we were allowed to do all of those things. Um, uh, I think, like a lot of colleges and the way that they operated, certainly in the UK in, in the 1980s, there wasn't a lot of direct um, education in terms of sitting you down and saying, this is how you animate. It was literally a case of, well, here's a studio full of bits and pieces that you can use, go off and do something based on this idea or based on a theme, and that's what we would do. And I, I certainly did that, and I think, um, I'm not sure I knew it at the time, but I think I learned a lot about making films about you know, because you, you make some terrible films when you do things like that, you know, but in a way you, you have to sort of fail to succeed later on. And um, I think that was something that um, has stayed with me. I quite, I just, I just enjoy the whole thing. So, um, you know, as I started in my animation career, like most people, I started off as sort of an assistant and animator type thing and working on sort of relatively low budget programs and films um, and, you know, learning really. And then, you know, there was an opportunity, somebody wanted somebody to direct a short film, and um, I got an opportunity to do that. Um, so that was where I started directing, and that was probably at the sort of beginning of the 90s, the 1990s. And, um, you know, it, it didn't all go directing immediately for me. I, I still went back and did some animation and drawing and, and all of that side of it. But the industry itself was also beginning to change as well. I mean, it had begun a little bit in the sort of 80s with computer-aided design work, mostly to do with supporting cameras. You know, the rostrum cameras were sort of began to be computerized controlled. But, you know, we're talking very early days. It was an expensive thing to do. Um, but I think in the early 90s, the sort of laptop, you know, the desktop computers became um, 
very much something that became affordable and powerful enough to run graphics that were actually worth watching, if that makes sense, you know. Um, and things began to change. We had a we had a system called Animo, I think, that came in in the um, early 1990s, and we we started to digitally ink and paint our work. Um, and I think that was kind of revolutionary. I just I just remember. Um, you know, one day going in to watch the first rushes that we produced in this system called Animo. And, um, you know, it was on a TV monitor, which obviously was different because we were used to watching rushes on a steam deck and on film. And, you know, it would be probably a light rush print. So it would probably look a bit washed out as well. Um, and we watched this, um, you know, tape or whatever disc. I, it wasn't a disc. I think they'd had to transfer it to tape. And, um, Again, it was one of those moments, a little bit like sat back in that canteen when I was five, and I watched it and realised I think the industry is about to change massively. I, it was a kind of moment for me of um, you know watching this film go through, and you know they were it wasn't all shot and sequence; it was all sort of clips and you know um, various shots from different points. And we were doing things; they done things in this Animo system that were so sophisticated. Um, I remember there was a shot of a deer um, walking down towards the water and it kind of lowered its head and put its head into the water and to, to drink and the ripples came out and there were all the reflections and it was kind of multiplaning through some bushes and bits and pieces. And, you know, for the sort of work we'd been doing previously to that, I mean, to do something like I'm describing with this deer, it would have been hugely expensive. It probably would have only been done on a, on a very expensive feature film. And yet we were doing it in a kind of office somewhere in London on a couple of computers. Um, and I, I think you suddenly realise that the potential for storytelling was changing. I think the economics were changing. You know, clearly um, the skill set was going to change, what people needed to be able to do in terms of um, you know, suddenly it wasn't just about being able to hold a pencil and draw well. You were going to have to think differently. You're going to have to think about, you know, what it was to, to engage with computers. And I think it was, you know, I think in terms of my career, I think it was one of those moments where I said, okay, I have to accept this. Um, I really have to, I have to embrace it as well. Um, um, because I think this is going to make, this is going to revolutionize what we're doing. Um, you know, and I think that was, I think that was a, a big thing for me in a way because it allowed me to take the same attitude um, when other changes came along. And, and, you know, sometimes I don't think for me there was ever a moment quite as big as that, but certainly there have been other changes that have come along and I've gone, okay, you remember that moment when you sat and watched those rushes? This is one of those moments again, Dave. You know, you've got to think about it like that. You've got to embrace it again and, and, and go with it. So. Um, you know, for, for me, my career as a director, I think it's, it's, you know, it started in film and it's gone through tape and now it's digital. Um, and, you know, I, I, I kind of think that's a privilege in a way. I think it's a privilege to have all of that experience and understanding. Um, I can't say it hasn't been challenging along the ways at the times. You know, it's certainly had sort of moments where I've gone, I, I, I don't know whether I can really sort of, um, you know, keep going with these changes and keep up with everybody. But I think, you know, I think ultimately you look at it and go, well, look, 
if it makes it better, if it makes it more interesting, if it means that we can tell more interesting stories or different stories, then I think that's I think that's a good thing. Um, you know, and I think I think reflecting on where we are at the moment in our sort of COVID and post-COVID world. I mean, um, you know, I, I'm I'm in a situation at the moment working with a crew and a team spread across at least currently two continents, Europe and, and Africa. You know, I've got team colleagues in in um, Cape Town and I've got colleagues in Paris and colleagues in London. But our communication, it, it's totally through uh, the internet at the moment. Um, we have, uh, like a lot of people, we have multiple meetings um, through the internet and, you know, all our materials are all on a central drive um, and we're sharing them like that and we've all got access. and. And I think back, you know, to even five years ago, maybe that wasn't possible, you know, probably to do it to the extent that we're doing. I mean, we've had to get on with it. We've had to do it and get on with it. Um, but I, 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 I mean, I like that in a way. I like, I like the fact that we spend our time cooperating and, and working things out and, you know, dealing sometimes with a cultural divides and working those things out as well. Um, you know, it's, it's part of the fun of it as well as, um, you know, the fun of actually sort of telling these stories. That's amazing. Yeah. So you've come a long way from the 80s where you started in the 90, 90s, where you started with this Beano comic. And then you um, yeah. you did the TV series Wiggly Park. But I want people to know that in 1999, you, you were one of the first to direct um, the fully computerized 3D TV series, which was uh, the QBs. So that's really interesting. And um, then you did the action adventure show Friends and Heroes, and which was, uh, you know, that's really interesting about the first Christians living in Alexandria from six. That's very like, how, like it's just interesting the subject matter of how you make these shows. It's almost like History Channel, right? In cartoons, it, it certainly was, and and something like uh, Friends and Heroes, which was obviously based. You know, it, 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 it had a real context in the sense it was based, the storytelling was based um, in Alexandra, um, sort of in the Roman era, I think it was 63. I think we lead up to the, the fall of Jerusalem. Um, you know, we had to look at all of that, um, the research that we did in that process. Um, I spent a lot of time looking at sort of fragments of maps to work out what Alexandra might have looked at at that particular point because what we wanted to do was obviously design somewhere and, and create a world that was believable. Um, you know, ultimately, you know, unfortunately, you know, Google Maps weren't around at that time. So, uh, you know, what, what you end up doing is looking through a lot of history books um, and, and you find a piece of it there and it says, well, it's not quite the right era, but somewhere between those two eras, these things happen. So you kind of work things out a little bit and you say, right, that's my street plan. And, and and as a director, if I'm doing something that's in a city um, and, and uses a city as a backdrop, I quite like that to actually have that process of sitting down, um, you know, no, learning the city because what's great then when you start working with the writers, you go, okay, yes, yeah, if, if so-and-so comes out of his house now and he goes right, he goes down there, he, he'll see this, he'll see the palace or he'll, he'll go left and he'll see the you know whatever building it is that we need we need them to do so um i i quite like constructing that world that I, I think that's part of my role really as a director on the television series that you help build the world a little bit so that um you know everybody else that's working with that whether it's the writers the storyboard artists or the designers 
um, they've got that platform to step into and and, and can share it. Um, and I, you know, and, and hopefully then me as director, I, I can take everybody through it. But yeah, we for Friends and Heroes, we did a lot of research. We had to do a lot of research on things like Roman uniforms, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, trying to ensure that we're as correct as possible, but at the same point, because that was a 2D show, um, you know, you look at it and you go, right, how do we design it that will also work for production? Uh, you know, whether it's a case of saying, well, we have to simplify certain elements, um, you know, what's important here for the story? Uh, is this guy an officer? So we need to make his uniform look more elegant or whatever it is, or what are the what are the things that denote his rank? Um, and I think, you know, we, we went through a lot of research for a series like that. Um, is that called, it's, you know, it's so, almost like it's yeah, adult think, animation. Is that more adult animation? Because today, would that be considered adult animation? Um, that the, 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 the series itself, um, it, it was based on an action adventure show, and the, and, and, the, and the characters are all sort of living in this sort of period. It's, it's sort of about 30 years after the crucifixion of Christ. Um, they don't refer to themselves as Christians. I think they refer to themselves as friends of Jesus in the series. And um, they are obviously, you know, Alexandra itself as a city in, in, was really important to the Romans because it was the gateway to Egypt. And Egypt itself was the breadbasket of Rome. You know, Egypt itself around the Nile and everything is where they grew wheat and the ships would come in. They would collect the wheat, take that back to Rome. And it's what, you know, it's what fed the Romans bread. You know, you know, if, if you could keep people fed and you can keep a city like Rome going. And that was, you know, so it was a very important part of, uh, of the Roman Empire. Um, but also Alexandra itself was a, it was a huge crossroads for, uh, you know, you know, at that point, Jews um, and also early Christians, the Romans themselves and other, you know, merchants and whatever. So it was a, it was a huge, huge sort of uh, crossroads for um, you know, the culture in that area and, and trade. Um, so for the Romans to control all of that, they were quite oppressive. And that's where the storytelling comes in, of course. And our heroes are kind of rebelling against that oppression um, and also wanting to have the right to be able to sort of, um, you know, uh, worship and, 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 you know, have their religion as they want it. So that was, that was the core of the storytelling. But in doing that, we had that as an action adventure element to it and on top of that the the bible stories which were both from the old and the new testament um were there to sort of kind of illustrate themes and parts of the story so um we did i think 39 half hours of those um and you know the series itself was a serial so each 13 episodes had a kind of overarching story uh which um, you know, the characters went through and got to a certain point at the end of the 13 before we kind of relaunched it at, at you know, show 14 and then again uh, later on down um, the line and whatever. So, um, yeah, I mean, that was, that was a, you know, both a lot of undertaking in terms of research, um, you know, making sure that the religious content was correct. And that meant, you know, um, reading uh, multiple versions of the Bible, you know, obviously to ensure that it was acceptable to a wider range of Christians as possible. And, and we obviously had consultants and people that specialised in all of that to actually sort of uh, ensure that that part uh, was, uh, that worked for everybody. 
Did you have the big lighthouse, the famous lighthouse? Did you guys design the lighthouse? Yes, we did. <laughs> we did, and we had some stories. Yeah, yeah, and you know that was that was part of it. Was a big visual of it as well. You know, it was a really nice, um, you know, part of the visual side of it. And and the show itself, we we designed it. It was obviously that one was a two D show, and we designed it to have a, it you know, it had a very warm feel to it. Um, the color and the and the color palettes to it. And, and the art director was very careful about all of that side of it. And we also, the, the Bible stories themselves were in 3D, and that was deliberate so that because the core characters would tell the story, um, they would tell the Bible story and recount it, and then we would sort of go into it. They were done in a different technical medium. So we actually did the Bible stories in 3D, um, and that gave us a different, we had a different look for that so that, you know, I think the audience, and you know, you you sort of, uh, you know, you talk about what age group it was targeted for. Sort of, I think, you know, sort of seven to seven to eleven year olds. I think so. You know, the the target age group would understand what they were watching was, you know, they were going into another story, and quite often, you know, our heroes were telling the story um, and recounting whatever story it was, whatever Bible story it was. Wow, to me it sounds like more adult, uh, adult and history channel. But um, and also you also I just want the audience to know that Gary Kurtz was the uh, was produced by Gary Kurtz, you know who was also um on Star Wars. So you had like a was how what was the budget on that? Like was it was it a big budget um, or? I I I I don't quite know what the end budget was. I know, um. I think we were around, I think, about the $10 million, but I don't quite know what the end budget was and all of that. Um, well, so we did 39 and a half. That was to do the whole series, yeah. And it was 14, um, right? 14 episodes? We did 39. 39 episodes. Wow. Yeah. And, and I mean, this was, and this, this was a few years ago as well. And I think um, we, we, we obviously broke the production down. We did the initial um, CG animation in the UK. And then I think most of the 2D animation was done in Korea. Um, and it, and in, in terms of production process, it was, it was you know, done like many action adventure series, whether they're done, you know, out of LA or out of London or whatever, you know, the shows were, you know, packs were created, you know, we had character packs and location packs and whatever. And they were, all, in those days, it wasn't digital. We just packaged it all up, sent it out to Korea with a kind of set of briefs and, and you know storyboard and animatics and, and the teams out there would would create the animation and we you know sort of observe it and review it at various stages and uh, and work like that. So um, we then did all the post production back in the UK, but we recorded the voices in in Canada. Uh, and we and the writing team were mostly based in LA, as far as I remember. Um, the lead, the head writer was um, a guy called Stan Berkowitz, who's you know, a friend of mine, and uh, he also worked as a head writer on another show I did as well afterwards as well. Um, but no, they, and they'd all come from, they, apart from writing on our show for Friends and Heroes, they also had come from writing things like Spider-Man and, and Batman and things like that. So they had all the kind of the, the, the action-adventure chops, if that makes sense. You know, they had all of that sort of um, track record to sort of create... Um, you know, the right tone, you know, it, it needed to be something that would engage with the audience that, you know, you know, an audience that's, you know, got a lot of competition on the screens, you know, for watching different things that, you know, there had to be excitement, there had to be um, some jeopardy and drama in there. Um, I, I, I think, you know, I, I, I feel that 
you know, I think if you were a sort of seven or eight, nine-year-old person, I, I, I think you'd be into it. You know, you could sort of enjoy the drama of it. Um, you know, the stories were told from an angle where, you know, whilst there was a, you know, a realistic element to what we were doing, um, it, it certainly had enough uh, fun in it. Uh, and the villains themselves, the key villains were quite, we, we played them broader and more comical as well. Um, you know, the body shapes and everything like that, we played them. And, and you know, yes, the Roman world was quite a, 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 a cruel world at times, I guess, in, in reality, but we never went that far with our drama. Well, Egypt um, was a cruel world, wow, with all those slaves building all those things. <laughs> or at least Romans uh, released their slaves and they no longer been slaves. So, I mean, <laughs> each civilization yeah. uh, can be cruel. Um, but, I mean... So, so I, I, I want to um, uh, just let our audience know we're going to do part two with Dave Osborne. We want you to come back. Please come back for part two because we want to talk about his Lego adventure animation, which is Nexo Nights, and also um, some things he did for Disney, including Pix Pixar Cars and also animated Mr. Bean. And also his secret project with Netflix. So um, come on back for part two because we have lots more to talk about with Dave Osborne.